Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe Delian, joined by Chris Flum, and we are giving you the answers to your New York Giants questions on yet another mailbag edition for the offseason of the Chris and Joe Show. And we have plenty of questions for you today in regards to free agency, a little bit more centered around the draft today, but still a lot of new discussion topics for us to hit today, things that we haven't even really had the opportunity to talk about, which is very, very exciting. If you do ever have any questions, feel free to send them to us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram if you want us to answer them, as well as sending them into our email account, bigblueview at gmail.com. Rolling right on into it, our very first question from Arthur Chase. He is asking, how would the Bears trading Mac for the second pick impact the Giants. So if you haven't seen, there have been rumors on Twitter. Most rumors at this point are relatively unverifiable, but it's still speculation. It's worth discussing that the Washington Redskins are trying to make a move with the Chicago Bears to swap Khalil Mack for that second overall pick. Now, we're not sure what they're going to be doing with that second overall pick for the Bears, but the one key thing here, and I'm sure you very much are going to agree with me here, Chris, is that if that trade goes through and the uh, the Redskins sell out, sell that second pick and a bunch of other picks to get Khalil Mack and bolster their defense, what that really does to the beginning of the draft is it either allows for quarterbacks to slide a little bit or Chase Young, because we don't know for sure if the Bears would trade up to to be putting themselves in a position to essentially swap Khalil Mack with Chase Young. It very well could not impact the beginning of the draft at all, or it could cause Chase Young to be a little bit further down on the board. Yeah, that that's actually a rumor I hadn't seen before we got this question, but it it is really interesting. You know, it's possible the Bears could be you know, maybe a little dissatisfied with Khalil Mack, want to move him, move his salary, get a younger player, a guy that could have under control for four or five years. But it could also be that they are done with Mitchell Trubisky. They have seen enough and they want to get their quarterback. And you know, they don't, I believe they don't have a whole lot of picks to work with. But Khalil Mack is one hell of a trade piece. And if they can move him, that would free up a nice chunk of change. And maybe getting Tua or Justin Herbert could be what they have their eye on. In which case, Chase Young slides down. Maybe the phone lines start to really ring for the Giants if you know there's one top flight quarterback left. And then, you know, 
maybe Indianapolis is, starts really calling, maybe some of these other teams that we've talked about, and we'll talk about again as potential trade partners, start calling. If that trade does go through, there would be a lot of teams holding their breath and waiting to see essentially what the Bears are going to do with that second pick because they could go chase Young. They could maybe be a little bit more excited about um, some like someone like Jeffrey Okuda. Maybe they take an offensive tackle there because they're high on someone. There's a number of different options there. But if, if they do choose, and there has been, again, this is all speculation because it's the offseason, that they're not a fan of Mitchell Trubisky and they don't like what he's been doing and the fact that he hasn't really taken a step forward and if anything, he regressed this past season. So you clear up the cap space. You don't really owe Mitchell Trubisky much. You choose to draft someone like Justin Herbert or Tua Tavangaloa in that second pick. And again, the minute that happens, it opens the door for other teams to make phone calls with the Lions and then the New York Giants to trade up the minute that second quarterback is gone. It is going to have so much of an effect if that trade goes through on either where Chase Young lands or where the quarterback slide starts to begin. The next question that we have from Michael Martinez, he's asking, I don't think we should sign Leonard Williams in free agency what say you? So Chris and I pretty much agree here on this one. We don't really want to overspend on signing him, but if it's a friendly contract, you can't really complain. Yeah, you know, he had. We have heard that he's going to be looking for twelve, fifteen million dollars a year. If that, if if that's what he is asking for, and he is firm about, as far as I'm concerned. That if the Giants do it, they are they are simply trying to save face for a bad trade. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly support, and honestly, kind of want to see Dave Gettleman get his Elsa on and sing "Just Let Him Go." If <laughs> if Williams, yeah, is firm in wanting twelve to fifteen a year, I've seen people throw around eight million dollars as their line. Personally, my line. For Leonard Williams is about five million a year because he is a not he just he's a good player but not a real impact player. He's a good run defender. He can pressure the quarterback, but he ha- just has not been able to capitalize on it. And you can't sign him to pass rusher money if he's not going to be rushing the passer. I just keep coming back to the fact that Olson Pierre put more quarterbacks on the ground than Leonard Williams did. The one thing that Leonard Williams might have in his favor in contract negotiations with other teams, not with the New York Giants, is that if you look at the defensive tackle, specifically the tackle salaries right now, number one's Aaron Donald at $22 million, then Fletcher Cox, $17 million, Grady Jarrett, $17 million, uh, Geno Atkins, $16 million. Those make sense, but once you start to slide down this list, there's a couple guys that are more towards the average scale, but I would argue still more productive than Leonard Williams. It goes Jarrell Casey of the Titans. It goes Marcel Darius of the Jaguars, Linval Joseph of the Vikings. This is a list of guys that aren't as big as the top five on the list, but still very, very talented. Leonard Williams doesn't really play into that $15 million range, but he could make that case for, well, at the very least, I I should be making... 
um, at, at least 10 million in comparison to some of these other guys, some of these other defensive tackles. But the the problem with him seeking out and trying to make 10 million is he's really not worth the production. If you want to be paying a defensive tackle over 10 to 15 million dollars, he needs to be productive as a pass rusher. He needs to be productive in creating chaos. You're not going to sign Leonard Williams just because he takes up space. Dalvin Tomlinson is essentially that guy right now that takes up space, but he's also productive in creating pressure, in alleviating some of the pressure for linebackers, and also stopping some run plays in the backfield. So the Giants don't really need to be in a position to spend a whole lot of money, and I don't even see the situation of tagging him because then you would still be paying him a lot of money if you're tagging him for the one year. If you can get him to sign for $5 million to maybe that eight is the top or range, the, the, the top high range of his contract is that $8 million, maybe we can consider it. That would be reasonable for what his skill set is and what we've seen him do. Besides that, though, not worth not worth signing him for over uh, 10 to 15. Yeah, I would say maybe the eight as just the absolute upper limit. And even then, make that with uh, with salary escalators, you know, performance incentive incentives. So if he does finally in the what is this fifth year of his career, sixth year, finally develop into the pass rusher everybody thought he was going to be when the Jets selected him sixth overall, well, then maybe he could get up to that money and get paid like a guy who actually puts quarterbacks on the ground, who actually really disrupts you know, the opposing defense. Yes, the Giants paid Damon Harrison nine and a quarter per year, but he was also the best nose tackle in the NFL, and it's not even close. He was just on another world from every other player at his position, even though it's not a premium position. Our next question is a two-parter from the same person. This is from Roberto Perez. His first question is, who do you believe is the best offensive lineman in the draft? Chris, I don't know how you feel about this, but from the the bit of tape I've watched on these tackles, I am a big fan of Judrick Wells. I don't think that he's really worth maybe a top five pick, but I think that he seems to be one of the most consistent guys. I think Isaiah Wirfs is up there too. They're understandably right tackles, but you're getting a consistent guy. You're getting somebody that's playing at a high level, facing off against elite defensive players, and you've seen a, a level of consistency, and you really understand what you're getting. There's no question marks. There's not a ton of injury history with them. I think that both of those guys are going to be really, really close in being that top offensive lineman. Yeah, I'd say especially with the top three, at least the top three right now, I'm still working my way through these things. Wills probably has the edge over Andrew Thomas and Tristan Wirfs from Georgia and Iowa, respectively. I don't particularly care whether or not any of them play left tackle or right tackle. You need two good offensive tackles. I do not discriminate between sides. Wills, I think, probably has just maybe a little bit better blend of athleticism, power, and technique right now than the other two guys. I'm kind of holding Mecky Becton off to the side because as we covered in our first combine preview, I want to actually see him on the same field as the other guys before I 
slot him into the top five or just anywhere. I'm just withholding judgment on him right now. Just overall, probably with you, uh, or just overall, I'm probably with you on Wills, but I do believe there's an argument to be made for each of the top three to be potentially offensive tackle one. The second part of his questions is, what is the most glaring concern for the Giants protecting Saquon and Daniel Jones or finding a pass rush? This is a tricky question because they're both easily the most important thing to do with a roster in the NFL today. A little bit more in the sense of protecting specifically Daniel Jones, your young quarterback, or trying to create a pass rush by getting someone that's really talented and is going to elevate the talent level of the whole defense. Frankly, in my opinion, I think that protecting Daniel Jones and Saquon has to be a bit more of a priority, just slightly more of a priority because last year we saw Daniel Jones do well when he was composed and he had time in the pocket, but when he was flustered, when there was quick pressure, when there was poor blitz pickup and slide protection and he was getting hit within seconds of the snap, he made a lot of mistakes. He had a lot of turnovers and I blame a lot of those turnovers on a lack of good protection. If you can properly protect Daniel Jones and if you can properly protect any quarterback, they're going to do a lot better than I think that they're very capable of. And what I mean by that is Dak Prescott's in in terms of talent when he was a rookie and a second year player and even now is not one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. But he has the best offensive line and early on in his career he had the best offensive line in front of him to go along with a good run game and a good running back and a top five running back. When you have all that pressure taken off of him, it allows him to be calm. It allows him to have a lot simpler reads, be a lot easier in his throws, and he looked really good in his first few years of the league, and that's why he was the Offensive Rookie of the Year his rookie season. But this past year, and I would say the past two years, they've been a a herring inconsistent with the offensive line because of injuries, and frankly, they've been throwing the ball a lot more than they should be, and that's caused Dak Prescott to not be as good as he should. I know it's a bit of of a, a, a... controversial example that I'm using here, but protecting your quarterback is a must and you need that to have your offensive flow. You can't have a good offense in the NFL if your quarterback is running for his life. On the other hand, though, you can, to an extent, create artificial pass rush with blitzes, with good coverage, and also preventing the opposing quarterback from having time by, like I said, blitzing and and creating pressure that way. Realistic answer here is that the Giants need to be able to walk and chew bubblegum this offseason. They need to address both of these things. They are both glaring concerns. They had one of the worst four-man pass rushes in the NFL last year. They had to scheme pressure, and scheming pressure just put too much pressure on their secondary. On the other hand, you're absolutely right. They need to protect Daniel Jones. They need to keep pass rushers off of him. Not only is is it just hard for quarterbacks to perform under pressure, it, it reduces the effectiveness of all of them. I don't care who it is. And then also the turnovers, those really put the Giants' defense in a lot of bad positions. It's very difficult for a defense if they're 
constantly having to defend extra snaps on the, for the opposing offense because the Giants offense coughed up the ball and it's hard it's hard on them if all of a sudden they're back on the field on short rest and the opposing offense has great field position overall an offensive lineman would help both sides of the ball of course helping the pass rush out would help the offense by potentially giving them better field position, getting opposing offenses off the field, and maybe, maybe making it so the Giants aren't constantly playing from behind, constantly having to score to try to keep up with the opposing offense. So I would say that they're both glaring concerns. They both have to be addressed. But gun to my head, you have to pick one. I would go with offensive line, offensive tackle. Yeah, it's honestly a great question. And I think it, it really is a good exercise to kind of analyze what would you pick. But there's no right or wrong because both things are very, very necessary for the Giants to fix, fix this offseason. It just so happens that there's plenty of options for them to do both if they're smart and diligent and approach it correctly. We'll have to see if they do end up doing that. And we also have three more great questions that we're going to be answering very shortly. But we're going to take a very short commercial break. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Our next question is from Brian Hyman, and his question is, what is the best case scenario if Dave Gettleman chooses to trade now? Trade down, rather. I think from looking at the available teams that need a quarterback and that have the most draft capital in this year's first round, the best case scenario is that if you can convince the Miami Dolphins to give up one of their first round picks to swap spots with you, and then also potentially a second round or additional draft capital in later rounds, that would be an absolute steal. Just to swap one spot to get a first rounder and additional later round picks would be the best case scenario. You don't have to do a ton of work. You're not sacrificing really any draft position because once you swap picks, they're taking a quarterback. So that leaves every other position on your draft board currently still available. The Giants aren't, don't need a quarterback right now, and they're not going to draft one in this year's draft. So let the Dolphins trade up, take their pick, draft someone really talented in that fifth spot that would have been your pick at four, and then you have a mid-round pick to take and fill another need, whether it's filling it and getting an offensive tackle or drafting a linebacker or one of the many talented receivers. Getting getting additional first round picks would be a huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. Getting one of the Dolphins' extra first rounders is definitely the best case scenario. Even if the Giants can just move back one spot and pick up a another second round and maybe a third round draft pick, the you know the two two day two picks, 
just to swap picks for the Dolphins and make sure let them make sure they can secure the guy they want. That would be a really good scenario for the Giants because they would effectively be giving up nothing. And they would be getting the same guy they would have been drafting anyway, but at a little bit lower salary slot. And they would be picking up additional picks that, frankly, they need. They need those day two picks so they can get those guys on affordable contracts but still be good enough prospects that the Giants could reasonably expect them to step in and contribute right away. Now, if the Giants wouldn't be able to work that, there are some other really good scenarios that I think we're going to be getting to in a question or two. Our next question is from Richard Michael, and his question, is it a stretch taking Mecky Becton with the fourth overall pick? I think now is a little bit too early to really make a decision on that because there are some questions about a lot of these tackles and there are questions about Mecky Becton because he is honestly a bit boomer bust because he's so big. He has a lot of extra weight on him. So you don't know a hundred percent for sure what you're getting. But what I do know is that he is very strong. He's very, very big. He could lean down a little bit, but he doesn't look like he's some gelatinous blob that's over 350 pounds. He carries his weight well. He's athletic. He's got good footwork. I think if he has a good combine performance and answers some of the questions that we addressed on the Thursday show, he could very well find himself in the top 10. Not sure about the fourth pick, but he could find himself in the top 10. Yeah, that's pretty much it exactly. If he has the combine, we hope he does. Top 10 is not a stretch. And if he really does look as good as we hope he does, if he shows up at a good weight, if he moves well, if he shows good knee bend, and maybe some of the other guys don't look quite as good as we hope as we think they will or hope they do, then I would say it wouldn't be a stretch for Becton to potentially be the OT1. But right now, it's probably just a little bit too early. But this will be a really good conversation I think we'll be revisiting in, oh, two and a half, three weeks. Final question we have on the Mailbag Show is from Edwin Gomers. His question a little bit long here. Looking at the over, looking at over the cap, it is a website that tracks salary caps for all the NFL teams. If you don't know what that is, at teams with very little or negative cap space, which team would you try to swing a trade with? Preferably mid late pick, and for whom? As they may need salary dumps. So we won't get too crazy in who might they be able to swing with because that's getting a little bit tricky because we don't know who's untouchable. We don't even know who they're willing to trade, but addressing the the conversation of who is very close to the edge and violently over the salary cap right now, the Vikings are $11 million over. They have to do something. They are very much in a situation where they have to move some players to clear up some cap space, which they're probably going to be doing in free agency. Do they try? Do they choose to move on from some defensive players? Maybe somebody like Linval Joseph, who is getting paid around 
uh, ten million dollars. Maybe that's someone that they are sorry, twelve million rather. Maybe that's someone that they try to get rid of to clear up some space. Uh, the the Jaguars too. Maybe you can swing a trade for someone like Calais Campbell because they're trying to clear out some room. A guy that's a veteran coming towards the end of his career. Can they really pay him? And would they rather pay him or Nick Foles? That's a question that needs to be addressed. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a ton of issues with their cap space as well. They're only $1 million under the cap. Can they afford to re-sign Bud Dupree? That's a big question for them. And then the Falcons, who are very likely not going to be retaining Vic Beasley. Well, that's an interesting situation to look at because they're $4 million under the cap right now. If they get rid of him, that's somebody that the Giants could address and go after as not a premier, but a featured pass rusher in this defense. I think actually Calais Campbell is a very interesting possible target for the Giants because he is expensive right now for the Jaguars. He is a $17.5 million cap, but he he's only $2.5 million in dead cap. So it seems really likely that to free up $15 million in cap room, they'll cut him. And just to circle back around to the Leonard Williams question, I would absolutely rather play, pay Calais Campbell than Leonard Williams. Again, still not $15 million or $12 million. But if you're asking me for you know this year and next year, who would I rather have on the roster? It would probably be Calais Campbell. You know, he is the one who has the track record of being an impact player you know maybe it would have been a little bit more interesting with uh james betcher still there as a guy that he knows but we have seen campbell be uh, successful elsewhere other than just the arizona cardinals if we're talking possibly a trade scenario with the jaguars could maybe work one or both of their first round picks into that if they are looking to move on dump salary and potentially go up and get a quarterback because you know as you said right now they're they could look to try to move on from Nick Foles who was just a bust of a signing and then Gardner Minshew who was definitely exciting but part of the excitement is the fact that he was a sixth round pick so if they're not looking at him as a long-term answer at quarterback that right now they're sitting at at ninth overall, they have another pick later on. Perhaps the Giants could swap fourth for the ninth and their second pick and maybe take a player to clear cap space with some other compensation to smooth things out. That to me is a really interesting scenario. You do bring up an interesting situation of maybe the Giants decide to help out the Jacksonville Jaguars in getting rid of Nick Foles' contract because right now the Giants have $61 million in cap room if after making some free agency moves they have the space to eat up someone's contract, take someone and then cut them Kind of similar to what happened with Brock Osweiler when he was with the Texans and they realized that, well, this contract is not working out for us. He is not playing up to the level we had hoped. We're going to take Deshaun Watson. You get a situation like that where you try and get somebody to eat up his cap. You can finagle some picks that way. Maybe get a third round pick, something in the middle rounds, uh, some additional draft capital just by doing them a simple favor. 
Teams are not afraid to do that. I would not be opposed to doing something like that if they have the cap room after free agency, after they've signed some reputable names. You just do them a favor and you get some draft picks. The other thing, too, that is maybe something you wouldn't expect is the the Chiefs right now are around $13 million under the cap. And they have a very tricky situation of having to pay Chris Jones and then eventually going to be one of the most enormous, if not the, actually it is going to be the biggest contract in the NFL of paying Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And the arguably one of the best players in the NFL right now, that's not enough room to pay both of those guys because they're going to be both over $20 million. So I think someone that you have to pay attention to with them is Sammy Watkins, who has an extra year on their contract. He's getting paid $13 million. The Giants are in need of a little bit extra receiver help. That final piece to put them over the top, I don't think that that would be a terrible situation. You would be helping them out in taking up a big contract. There's only one more year on the deal you get a good quality receiver, and if you like him, you can keep him around after that. I think that something like that would very well uh, impact and help the Giants. Yeah, that is another really interesting <clears throat> interesting scenario. And if the Giants are going to run the kind of offense that Jason Garrett has run in the past, perhaps going after a guy like Sammy Watkins, who is, he's not a huge receiver, but he's got good size. He can move he might not be the athlete he was in college you know a few injuries will do that but he does have speed still he does have the ability to be something of a vertical threat and the Giants have that need at wide receiver perhaps they could work a trade and work something out with the Chiefs and then perhaps sign Watkins to a contract extension to maybe bring down that cap number all right, that's all we have for questions here on the mailbag show of the Chris and Joe show. Thank you for everyone who sent your questions in. If you do ever want to send a question in, uh, check out our Facebook page. We do do a posting for commenting and giving us questions that way. You can also send them directly to us through the Facebook page or our Twitter or Instagram, which is at Big Blue View. You, you should also go and follow Chris and I. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon, and you can follow Chris at RaptorMKII. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you are listening to us. And also stay tuned for Tuesday when we come back at you with some more Combine discussions. And we'll be finishing up the list of defensive players that have the biggest traits to prove the Combine. 